right, you tell me when you're ready. I'm going to have AC for as long as we possibly can. Slater? AC? Jesus. When people say Slater, often I think of Saved by the Bell, but a lot of times I think of Dazed and Confused. So, so check you later, air conditioner? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think we're ready to go. I'm recording. Well, then I guess I'm recording too. Oh, listen to this. Do you know what that sound is? What is that sound, Doug? It's me inserting my diaphragm. Safe sex is important. Is this going to be a safe sex episode? Let's do the beers first before the fucking intro. Old school, like we used to do it. Well, then I guess I only have one question for you. Doug, what are you drinking? Eric, I'm drinking the Ghost Drifter Pale Ale from the Odyssey Brew Works in Arvada, Colorado. This is an American Pale Ale. It's got a 5.5 ABV. I don't know what the IBUs are. I'm already one Ghost Drifter in, so I can rate this one immediately. This is a solid 3.6. Definitely a nice summer beer that you can enjoy and doesn't get in the way too much. What kind of awesomeness that you got going on there? Because I know you're pretty excited about this one. Yeah, I've got Four Noses, who we've talked about on the cast before and who we love. Their new beer, Tart Mango Wheat. It's a 4.7 ABV, 19 IBU. And it is very tasty. You mentioned summer beer. This is definitely something I could sit next to a pool and drink. I'll give this a four out of five. This is solid. It's not quite bareback blonde. And I'd say the ABV is definitely factoring into that decision because bareback blonde's like a 6.6. Right. So a little bit of a difference there. But this is delicious. I think I've had four or five of their brews and none of them have disappointed me. So mad props to Four Noses. Love those guys. Hope we have them on the show soon. Uh, I agree, Marty. This is Project Challenge with your host, Doug Lund and Eric G. Hollis, back in the Bit Cave for the first time in months, back in Project Challenge with just Doug and Eric for the first time in, God, it seems like for fucking ever. Where the fuck have we been? Well, I've been in the Bit Cave. <laughs> it's the first time you've been back in the Bit Cave, but I've actually been in here. BitFaced has been going strong. We both kind of took a little time off of PC. We had some technical difficulties, I think, that kind of got in the way. It is good to be back. I hope we have a lot of good shit to talk about today. I love doing live or what I call in-person episodes way better than I like doing Skype episodes. No matter how good we get the quality, I don't think in a podcast you can replace sitting in a room with someone. And I'm glad to be sitting in a room with you today, dude. So good to be back. Yeah, it's a little warm, but you're right. You can't replace that in-person factor. And it's become more of a rare treat, but that just means that we get to enjoy it more when we actually get to do it. Yeah, I made the mistake of tempting the universe, I think. It was the Mother's Day episode when I'm like, Project Challenge is going once a week. That's how we're going to roll. And uh, I think we made it six or seven episodes after that before, well, you know, life got in the way and the universe decided to make me look like an idiot. You'll build up, though. Bitface made it six months this year weekly, and we've had two bi-weekly stretches over the summer, which I think is acceptable. I think you're allowed to have a little summer break, right? It's not easy, man. I know people think it is. They're like, oh, what do you do? You just sit down and you talk into a microphone every week. It couldn't be farther from the truth. No, not when you factor in the planning, the decision making, who you want on your cast, the editing, the copy the branding, the constant online presence with all of the social media, it is a full-time job. And if you've already got a full-time job, the point about needing some time off, I think that's certainly what happens. You know, at some point working two full-time jobs, and in your case, two and a half, almost, that's not sustainable. And until we get to the point where this is what we're doing for a living, then I think it is perfectly acceptable to forgive ourselves for, for taking some time off every once in a while. And I'm going to completely sound like a whiny bitch here, but... Also, on top of job, podcast one, and podcast half, 
I also have to play all the fucking games and watch all the movies and see all the shit. Wine, wine, wine. I know, yeah, you have to explore geek culture, but you really do. I can't come on here this week like, hey, Eric, what are you playing? I don't know, some game from four years ago? No. I have to tell you, yeah, the new Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic Mania, is awesome. Right. If you just want to game and talk to your friends about games, do that. Podcasting is work. And I know Doug and I don't make it seem like that, but it really is. <laughs> and yeah, that's kind of the point, I think, of starting with a meta topic like that is a reminder both to our listeners and ourselves, and maybe a lesson in there somewhere. But you're right. You have to have time to have new shit happen to you so that you have fresh content to bring. Uh, otherwise, who wants to listen to you talk about, well, this is what happened at work today. The reason why, at least speaking for BitFaced, we're still going to do traditional fun, it goes anywhere, random episodes monthly, but we want to do more focused episodes, more themed episodes like we did recently with Glow coming up. We did with the 80s movies episode, which is a really good one. Bullshitting is great, and I think there's a place for it in the cast world, but I also think there needs to be a little bit of a topic, right? Oh my god, yeah. No one wants to listen to people bullshit about whatever's going on in their lives, because that's not what's interesting. And I think even when you and I on this show tell personal stories, either number one, they're funny, or number two, they mix with what we're talking about anyway. Listeners can tell us, if you don't like the stories about me and Doug as kids being assholes, then we won't tell any more of them. (laughs) There might not be many left to tell. Oh, God. Yeah, there are. And I learned that with uh, our last recording that we did with Curly, which by the time this episode airs, that one will have aired as well. And we get to hear some great stories about Eric. I'm just going to have to keep digging up his friends because each of them, it seems like, have something really awesome to tell. You know, when you grow up with people, hopefully, if they end up being your friends, you should have some good stories to tell about each other. I mean, I could go on and on, but we're not going to do that because we're going to stay on topic because no one wants to hear about our lives. We actually got to sit down last night, and in the spirit of keeping current, Doug and I watched the first three episodes between today and yesterday of The Defenders, Marvel's The Defenders, which we've both been very excited about. I was not excited about the first two episodes of the series. I'm going to be honest with you. Normally, I'm the one on Friday night, too many beers passing out. I was up and attentive last night. I was really excited for the Defenders, and the first episode bored the shit out of me. Iron Fist is on some sort of air transportation the entire time. He flies <laughs> like flies to fucking Japan and then flies back. Oh, the problem's where I just was. Okay, cool. I'll go back there. Was there even a fight in the first episode besides the intro scene? We're going to talk about the first three episodes of Defenders, so if you haven't seen at least those three, come back and catch us after you have. As bad as the first episode was, and completely hit you over the head, Heather's style, with the colors and the lenses, and I think I was more concerned with that last night than anything. Like, any time it switched to a character. Yellow lens for Luke Cage. Oh, the scene's all red. I bet we're about to see Daredevil. And it's pretty cool, stylistically speaking. But I think you and I both felt last night that they really hit you over the face with that. And maybe that's because we'd had a couple beers and we were being cynical dicks, but there's no denying it. It's not subtle. And it's funny that even Tyler made that same observation since we had all seen that movie recently. And we'll talk more about that shortly. But in Heathers, I don't think it was a distraction. In fact, I think it was, I guess, one of the earliest examples I can think of seeing that filmmaking technique used really from start to finish in a film. But in Defenders, it was. I don't want to use the word obnoxious, but there was nothing subtle about it. It felt heavy-handed, and it became a distraction to where if we're joking about it, then it's not artistically executed well. It means it's so noticeable that we feel compelled to point it out. We both talked today about the difference in the third episode. Like, the guy holds the camera still for a minute and a half. That was a refreshing take from the Bad Boys 2 spin shots every five minutes, it seemed like, in the first two episodes. And there's a lot of setup that I think could have been handled better. You can start with three, and besides missing an excellent Sigourney Weaver performance, I don't think you're really missing much. When you're giving us a total of eight Defenders episodes, and you've just... I don't want to use the word squandered, but not used to the best potential your first 25% of the season. That's a problem. Three was amazing, though. Three is where they put their foot on the gas. We got a good action sequence. About halfway through the episode, and we talked about how the IMDb ratings clearly reflected that this episode was where things really started picking up. From the beginning, though, you couldn't tell that that's what the case was going to be because it was still dragging a little bit. Episode two ended with Iron Fist and Luke Cage crossing paths and then 
Jessica Jones and Daredevil, I guess I should call him Matt Murdock, were introduced to one another. And you expected the action to pick up like right there at the beginning of three and keep going, but it didn't. And it wasn't really until... Electra great... origin story is yeah, what we got. That, kinda... uh, and that was great to see. You know what else we got in episode three? We got Scarf Devil. Scarf Devil. <laughs> <laughs> that scarf on Jessica Jones's neck looks like a Michelin tire. When he put it on, it was like the most sleek. <laughs> I still liked it, though. And it had the best joke that we've seen so far. And I'd be surprised if there's a better one. That was hands down the best joke, don't you think, of the three episodes? You look like an asshole. It's your scarf. <laughs> like That was good. <laughs> really good. I like the direction that three is going. I still am not sold on Iron Fist at all. We've talked about this, so we're not going to dwell on it. Neither you nor I made it through the series. Tried. I gave it the college try. I made it to the last two episodes, and I must have started that second to the last one three, four, maybe five times, and fallen asleep somewhere in the midst of episode, what, is it 12 or there are 13 of them? Yeah. And eventually I just admitted to myself that there's no reason to go back and actually finish that. I don't know why I don't like him. He's not a horrible actor. No. I'm starting more to buy his powers physically, but yeah, he just doesn't fit to me, if that makes sense. They're not going to go back and recast him. We know that. And it may not necessarily be that they've got the wrong actor, because I blame a lot of things that were wrong with Iron Fist on the direction, the story, some of the decisions done in the in production did not do him any favors. God, in the editing, too. So they're not going to recast this guy, so you got to work with what you've got now. We saw in episode three where Luke Cage and Danny Rand get to sit down and they're kind of forced to have a conversation. And it's pretty clear at this point that Rand is going to be the butt of many, what the fuck is wrong with you jokes? And I think that's the right way to use him. It's okay that he's a little naive and a little dopey. And if they can play on that and make it work, then that's the way to go. Well, I guess I'll find out this weekend because it's going to be pretty easy to finish eight episodes. Now that we're almost halfway through them. Which is sad. Yeah, they should have given us a little bit more. I mean, not that I'm bitching. If we're only getting eight episodes, it means there's going to be a pretty concise story arc. And then hopefully we can expect to start seeing some more cameos and crossovers. We know we're getting more seasons of every one of the four individual Defender properties. So why not start peppering in appearances in the individual shows? I assume Punisher is going to show up in Defenders, right? In this season? I would think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You know, I didn't even think about that. Um, or Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin, maybe? I didn't realize that they were going with the Black Sky storyline with Elektra as the villain under Sigourney Weaver's thumb. That seems to me like it's going to take five episodes to resolve. Do they really throw the Punisher in at this point? I don't know. I'd like to see him. I like that it's one big universe. As an antagonist or someone that shows up and helps him out? Helps him out, dude. Yeah. Come on. They're in a pickle and all of a sudden someone gets fucking picked off and they look up and he's up there in the corner. Very much like the goosebump scene at the end of Daredevil season two for me where Daredevil's getting his ass kicked and all of a sudden bodies start dropping and yeah. you look across the roof and there's Frank <laughs> Castle. I flipped out and paused the Netflix because I was so excited. Yeah. I'd like to see him show up in that capacity. I mean, will he? Probably not. I mean, technically... If they feel like they've earned it, you could get Peter Parker to show up. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to the Comic-Con episode that Carl and I did. I have not, but the reason I have not is because you told me you guys spoil a little Ready Player One. I was about to read it. It's still in my queue. The reason I bring that up is because Carl made the same point. Because I was bitching about why haven't we seen like a definitive Defenders and the rest of the Marvel MCU crossover. Like all they had to do was a cameo. In S.H.I.E.L.D. they had Nick Fury on in the first season. I think it was the first two or three episodes. And that's all you need. There. They're on the screen together for a few seconds. They exchange some words. They high five. And Iron Man says, keep up the good work. This is one less fucking area that I have to worry about cleaning up because you guys are taking care of shit on the fucking street level for me. But his point was that Spider-Man would be the appropriate character to bridge those two universes. Because Carl knows his comic books, and Spider-Man and Daredevil have teamed up many, many times in the pages of the books. Iron Fist and Luke Cage is a perfect team-up. They teamed up many times. No, Spider-Man is the perfect New York character. He always crosses over with those other characters in the comics. So I'd love to see it. Is it going to happen? Probably not. He's the Marvel character that I guess, you know, has limited time. Sony still owns him. For now. <laughs> 
<laughs> hopefully Sony saw that when you give the property to someone that can actually write a great movie and cast a great Spider-Man that you end up with a good Spider-Man movie that I assume is going to make more money than at least the amazing Spider-Man movies did. I think the only movie that premiered better than it was actually Spider-Man 3, believe it or not. Really? Even better than 2? Even better than 2 as far as everyone was really psyched for Venom, if you remember, and then we went and saw the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's not talk about that, though. We got so much uh, other great shit to talk about. At least if we're going to switch gears, Sigourney Weaver getting to see her kick ass. That was the best part of Defenders so far for me. The final action scene in episode three was great. But watching Sigourney Weaver kick Elektra's ass, just beat her to the ground. That was awesome. And make it look effortless. Like, we know Elektra's a badass. And it's clear that she loses all memory of whatever life she had before she was killed at the end of the second season of Daredevil. But... Sigourney Weaver is pretty close to 70, if I'm not mistaken. Not only does she throw some hands at Elektra, but makes it look easy. She has such a subtle acting style, too. I love her. I will watch Sigourney Weaver in fucking anything. When she was cast in Defenders as the villain, I thought it was one of the best casting decisions that they have made. I can't recall an Alexandra. Is that a canon character? You know, uh, I don't think so, but I'm not positive. I've never read anything with her character in it. I hope it's a new character. And Sigourney's fucking owning every syllable of dialogue. She does not have a wasted word. I love her to death. I will watch the rest of the show just for Sigourney Weaver. Well, you know she's going down. I mean, if there's one thing that they've shown in all of the MCU properties is that they tie up loose ends. They're not afraid of killing villains and leaving them dead. No, and I think she probably does bite the dust. She probably was not cheap (laughs) to get, right? You figure out of all the people on that series, she has to be highest paid. And should be. And should be. Absolutely. Not only is she one of the greatest actresses that's a heroine, she's good comedically. And she can mix them both into playing the villain. I can't say enough about her performance so far. That's what kept me going through episode one and two was, okay, are we going to get to see Sigourney in a little bit? Okay, she's here. Cool, I'll keep watching. How did you feel about the full nude scene? Because I think that's going to cause some controversy. You think so? Yeah. Sigourney Weaver in the buff in a fucking Netflix property? She wasn't totally naked, was she? You're supposed to roll with the joke, Eric. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was just thinking back. I was like, wait, did I fall asleep? I was setting you up for the Sigourney Beaver joke. Oh, God. (laughs) I thought that was really funny last night. (laughs) I was kind of proud of it, but it was the obvious joke, though, right? It was, but at the time, it wasn't what I was thinking of. She's wonderful, though. Worth watching the show for. Much like Kingpin was for me in season one of Daredevil. D'Onofrio. A lot of people don't like him, though. I think he's an amazing actor. Perfect for the Kingpin. So still too early to draw too many conclusions but i like the way that it's shaping up to three episodes we'll come back and talk about the balance of them in uh, a subsequent episode of project challenge probably next episode after this one would be my guess we'll have it watched true i'm already jonesing to get back in front of the screen and wrap it up yeah i'm really curious the description for the next episode is i guess all of them go out to dinner so that (laughs) sounds good already i almost wanted to watch it this afternoon but you know we were taking care of other shit. So. And we caught part of that in the trailer where they're sitting around basically giving each other shit like you hope a group of buddies does. I'm looking forward to watching that. I think the show has potential. They did this with Avengers too. And I'm kind of on the fence. When they did it with Avengers, it was kind of a fresh take. It wasn't, we all believe in each other. We got each other's back. It was, we've all got these abilities that for better or for worse, we have assembled a group of people who have some uh, pretty fucking spectacular talents and there's a threat that only we can address. I don't fucking like you, but I will work with you for... The the, better good. Yeah, the cause, exactly. And they're taking this exact tack with Defenders as well. And I know it's the more realistic story to tell, but how did that sit with you? I like the team dynamic like that. I don't think they have to like each other. Well, obviously, Jessica and Luke like each other. (laughs) we've got four episodes of them liking each other in Jessica Jones season one and a lot of holes in the wall. (laughs) So they have mutual respect. Iron Fist and Luke Cage aren't allowed to get along because they end up teaming up later. They were heroes for hire forever. Right. And really good friends though. But did how many friends do you have that you guys didn't start off as the best of friends and ended up good friends? Like you have to earn that. I don't think you can start them off buddy, buddy. 
And I don't think Daredevil can be buddy-buddy with anybody. My problem with it is that, and again, this is framed in the context of we've only got eight episodes. Do we really need to waste an entire episode or two with, man, I just don't get you, and this isn't going to work, and oh, now that I've seen you in action and we had to kick some ass together by circumstance, I can see how this might work. Can't we just fast forward through that? Everyone knew where this was going. We didn't need the unnecessary delay. I get that, but I think you have to show them becoming a team because you know there's going to be a Defender season two. Sure. I think, though, that the first two episodes was just a lot of time wasting. And it wasn't what you're talking about. It wasn't the awesome banter. We don't even get to that until the second part of episode two. I'm going to have to go back and watch the first one because when we went back and watched the bulk of episode two today, Stone Sober, I picked up so much more. And now I understand the storyline. I understand why each of them was on some kind of investigation. Like they had their own personal reason to be invested in this. You know, they were looking for something and those investigations is what caused them to ultimately cross paths. And I think telling a story that makes sense for them to want to be not only doing what they're doing, but then recognize that they can achieve their goals with help. And all of them have individual goals still, but they realize that, oh, if I work with these other people, I can get to my goal faster. I like that. So I'm going to have to go back and watch the first episode again, because I think the narrative setup might've made it necessary for them to burn at least an episode or two. Maybe they could have made it more interesting. Maybe they could have thrown some more fights in. Maybe Danny Rand could have been in a cab instead of a <laughs> an airplane. <laughs> I mean, that's all he did. <laughs> but we talked about this last night. He is responsible for most of the exposition. And if it wasn't for the stuff that he was saying, I would have been completely lost in the first episode with five beers in me. Yeah, he was totally yoked with the exposition. Right. He had to keep that story going. Because what else do you do on an airplane except for talk? <laughs> yeah, talk to your girlfriend. So the first two episodes, if you can make it through those, I think going forward, the show is going to be great. I got one more question for you. It's been several years since we heard, holy shit, Marvel gave five different properties to Netflix. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and then they're all going to team up and do Defenders. With what we've seen over the last several years, is it kind of what you pictured when you first heard that announcement or how far off base are we here as much as uh, we bitched about the colors hitting you over the head in the first episode it did look like a comic book right i think the characters behave like a comic book i think besides iron fist they picked very good actors and actresses especially Kristen redder jesus christ dude her nose, man. I don't know what it is about her nose, dude, but uh, it's like a lava lamp, dude. It mesmerizes me. I love it. And she's great, and she's a great actress, and she plays Jessica Jones perfectly. I think, what is uh, Cage's real name? Oh, Mike Coulter? Coulter, yeah. Mike Coulter is fucking awesome as Luke Cage. And I think Charlie Cox does a great job as Daredevil. I'm not totally sold on Iron Fist actor or character. Three out of four ain't bad. I'm digging it. Obviously, there's things that they could have done to make it better. The thing that you pointed out, I think it's important that everybody remembers. And if you can help me remember and keep reminding me, these are comic book properties. There should be a comic book element to it. We've got so many comic book movies, and we've all become critics. And it's really easy to say, well, this could never happen, and they could have done this differently. But when you continue to frame it in the context of this is supposed to be fun, just like comic books are. Yes, it can teach a lesson. Yes, it can be done artistically. But they're comic books, and let's always keep that frame around what we're watching. I think it's important, and I think not to shit on DC, Dark Knight was the greatest thing ever, and they were like, let's make it all Dark Knight. Let's make Superman Dark Knight. Let's make this all bleak. Marvel went the other direction and did what you said and made it fun right? and made it like a comic book, and that's key. And the Netflix series of Marvel are the darkest Way darker than the flicks are, in my opinion, except for maybe Civil War. Civil War has some blackness to it. It had to. That's when you have to start getting your hands dirty with not only that story arc, but with especially everything that we're being set up for. Shit's about to get really bad in the MCU. Did you and Carl talk about the leaked Avengers trailer? We absolutely did. I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys thought about that. Though. Were you able to see it in the short time that it was up? I've seen it twice. Okay. I put it up on BitFaced and it got taken down. <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing with PC. I might have shared your post, in fact, but that trailer has me very, very excited. 
the Justice League trailer was 75% awesome. And then Ezra Miller, I've never been in a fight before, but I'm the Flash shows up and it ruins the whole thing for me. He was my favorite part of that trailer. Uh, Aquaman was my favorite part. I'm so on the opposite end of the spectrum when it comes to Ezra Miller. And I know how you feel about Tom Holland and the justice that he is doing to the Spider-Man character. I really feel like the Flash is going to be very well represented by Ezra Miller. And I know that you're in love with Grant, what's his face? Grant Gustin. That plays him on the WB, or what channel is that? The CW. <laughs> the CW. Does the WB exist anymore? No, I think it got rolled into the CW, didn't it? Well, where the hell am I supposed to watch my Moesha reruns? <laughs> Amazon Prime, or Hulu. Or... Do they have every season? Oh, fuck, I don't know. Moesha. I want to be hanging with Mr. Cooper again, dude. Oh, my God. Well, we've discovered the inadequacy of the internet's archive and streamability in all kinds of properties lately. So I shouldn't just assume that you can find anything everywhere because that's not the case at all. No, it's it's really not. In fact, digging up all of the episodes ahead of the class was a chore that somebody else did for me. We will do a, a proper wrinkly old sack for Heathers, for Heathers in a subsequent episode. But the parallels with the Defenders and again, just the timeliness that we saw both of those things within kind of made it relevant to bring up. I am really excited and anxious to finally get Eric Hollis's feedback on Ready Player One, a book which Rebecca has been steadily chipping away at his resolve to get him to finally sit down and read. And he did keep saying, you know what? I've got the book. I'll, I'll make time eventually. You made time. It came down to we had Rebecca's friend Natalie over. Natalie's a big Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan. I, too, am a big Always Sunny fan. And we were talking about episodes. And I told Rebecca, I said, go back to Natalie's house and watch these episodes. Watch some Sunny. And Beck said, okay, I'll do that. But Ready Player One gets read this weekend. And I said, okay, no problem. I'm not going to promise I'm going to finish it, but I will definitely start it. I will get up Sunday morning when I have nothing to do. I'll sit in my chair and I'll read. And I did. And I had a lot of problems with the way the book ended, but the ride was pretty amazing. I guess uh, until you pointed it out, the writing style is pretty juvenile, but he's writing from that character's point of view, so... I don't think that Ernest Klein is a really strong wordsmith. I think if you add up every sentence in that book that starts with, I, I did this, and then I did this, you can write first-person perspective a lot more creatively than starting every other sentence with I. It's one of those things that I don't know that I noticed it on my first read-through, but I picked it up for the fifth or sixth time right after Comic-Con and burned through it again, and that's what stood out to me the most. And once you notice it, it becomes distracting. And there's a couple other things that he does, a couple of things that you pointed out that I don't think someone who is known as a quality author, a quality writer. How do you distinguish those two? Because I love Klein's storytelling. I love his imagination. He is a great author, but he doesn't write well. Is that how you would frame it? You are a writer. How do you articulate that <laughs> but, but distinction? But I'm not a great one <laughs> at all. I didn't have a problem with the way he wrote the book. I had a problem with some of the story choices, I guess. I thought the book maybe was written that way because he was trying to come from that kid's point of view. Yeah. And I can't even fucking remember his name now. His real name is Wade Watts. Wade Watts, right. His avatar's name is Parzival. Right, from Knights of the Round Table. Yeah, bastardization of Percival because that handle was already taken. <laughs> Something all gamers can relate to. I thought there was a lot of that i don't know like does the book really appeal to people that didn't grow up in the arcade scene in the 1980s and haven't seen war games and monty python and yes the answer is yes who got you to read that book rebecca a 24 year old girl she's a little bit different than the normal 24 year old girl she, yeah but she, she was still born in the 90s that is true the late 90s <laughs> i was uh, texting her the whole time i was reading like how do you know this like you've never played this <laughs> And shit like that. And every time she came back with a response, oh, no, I know that. Oh, yeah, no, I'm familiar with that. And here's where Klein shines, in my opinion. He makes that part of the story and perhaps inspires a generation to do the same thing. He establishes it in the first 50 pages of the plot where an old guy creates this game, this online experience, and then he creates a contest, and the payoff is immense, right? Ownership of this company essentially valued at several billion dollars. But in order to win, 
you have to know 80s culture backward and forward. Therefore, a whole new generation of kids who had no reason to not even appreciate, but know it at a level that they could become proficient or, or experts. There's an impetus there for them to do that. And I think when people read the book, there's an impetus for people who are maybe a little younger or not as deep in 80s culture to go back and start consuming that content again, just to make the experience of the book a little bit more complete. And that is fucking brilliant. My favorite part of the whole book was that the dude's online lounge was the living room from Family Ties. Favorite part of the whole book. Because <laughs> that's that's how you do it. I oh. thought, too, though, that uh, was that really good. Wow, this is fantastic. Have you tried this one? Which one is that? Codename Superfan? No. Give that a swig. That's not bad. Tyler was after me to try one of these last night, and now I know why. The first one he had me try, which was also by the Odd 13 Brewing, was that Noob. That was I. That was in the same ballpark as this Ghost Drifter. But this uh, codename Superfan by Odd 13 is amazing. Like, this is in the 4.8 territory. Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. I guess Tyler knows what I like. I should start listening to him more. Only when it comes to beer, though. I was about to say, like, <laughs> how, how far are you going with that? Mm. God, this is what I should have been drinking all weekend. Unfiltered. Haze is expected. Drink fresh. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Ready no, Player One. I didn't like the ending. The love story. No? No. Forced. As always. Yeah? Telegraphed. Well, it was... Not needed. As a writer, I'm surprised at your stance on this because you could make the argument that every story can be enhanced by a love interest. I don't think so. I'm tired of saying it. It's the same old... I knew how the book was going to end. I also, as a geek, I really had a problem with the perfect Pac-Man <laughs> scene. I really had fucking issues with that. Yeah. Deep-seated issues of like, okay, I bought that you can beat some mythical dude on Joust. Because who knows how good that dude is. Playing a perfect game of Pac-Man like, oh, you know, I watched a video this once and I realized I could sit at one point in the maze and not get killed, which I don't think is true. No, I don't think so. Are you disputing the veracity of the Pac-Man hack? Is it a hack? It's an exploit, I guess is probably a better term to use. I've seen people do the run and they've never used it. There's not a place where you can pause and shake your wrists off and then get back to work. I think you just go straight through. Yeah. I've gotten 120,000 before, and I did it in like 15, 20 minutes. So yeah, you can get double that without moving. I don't think it's, it's not like a marathon game. It's not about the time. It's about being able to get through 256 boards with X number of lives. Well, you can't lose one. No. But you have to get every pellet, every ghost, and every fruit. Yeah. You have to eat all four ghosts with every power pellet. Which that's the part I don't know how people do it. Because sometimes you hit the power pellet and the ghosts are all already blinking. I guess you have to wait until they get close enough. Yeah. It takes, takes, to my point, it takes fucking patience and skill. I think nine people have done it. Ever. Ever. There's a lot more people that have flipped the board on Donkey Kong that have done all that shit. Perfect Pac-Man is no fucking joke. I know people are fucking out there probably laughing right now like, Jesus, it's Pac-Man, dude. But seriously, that takes a lot of skill. It does. I think it's made clear in the book that Wade has logged a lot of hours on Pac-Man. Not probably enough to make him that good. But again, there's a driver in the book that makes it worth their while to spend time hammering on these games. And since it's set in the future, I think it's even acceptable to think that there are things they know about Pac-Man that we don't know now. I'd love to actually know the answer to this question. Maybe that exploit doesn't actually exist. Maybe there's not a spot in the maze where you can sit uh, unmolested by the ghosts. But maybe they figured that out. Or maybe we're just not aware of it right now. Maybe they figured that out in the future. And that's part of the story. And if there was $2 billion on the line, you could bet your ass that you and I would both be approaching, if not have already passed the skill necessary to complete a perfect game of Pac-Man. Yeah, I think I'd take you there. Bring it. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't have Pac-Man's your game. There's no way I'm going to take you up on that. I tell you what, Doug. In our old age, you fucking pick the game. <laughs> really? Pick and I'll play you. That's pretty ballsy. I think because like, there's some games you know I can beat you at. Yeah, 
I can't think of any, but I'm sure there are, <laughs> I'm sure there are some. If you and I went to the one up, I think I could take you on almost every machine. Maybe not like Tempest. Really? Because I am certain I could kill you in Donkey Kong and Frogger. I have 100% confidence in Frogger. I'm pretty good at Frogger. I'm not very good at Donkey Kong, though. Okay, so I'm going to pick one of those two games then. All right. I'll start practicing. (laughs) I did practice Kong for a little while and got good at it. But I think I could pick any fighting game and beat you no problem without even trying. I don't know, man. We were pretty evenly matched in... uh, Justice. Yeah. Specifically, when you weren't using Supergirl, I'd say we were dead even. I'm pretty good with Supergirl, though. Yeah. I don't know if I taught you, but the way to play Injustice is strictly rando. That, to me, is a pure match. It is. And to my point, I don't think that if you take our strong characters out of the equation that either one of us was particularly strong. There were nights when you would win more matches and there were nights that I would win more matches. We need to have the Project Challenge arcade challenge because you know I'll practice too. Sure. And I've got 30 years of muscle memory in Kong that I would bet money on right now. I'd like to see you play Jim. Jim's really good at DK. Yeah, this isn't about Jim. This is about you and me. I know. (laughs) I'm sorry, you and I. That's how you can tell how many beers I've had when I start fucking up my grammar. I think, though, that FPS, even if you put us both on PCs. Really? Yeah. Quake 2, you're done. Okay, any of the Halo games. (laughs) Gears of War. When you make a blanket statement like, I can take you in any FPS. Well, yeah, you can pick one out of 100. Well, the ones that I actually played, because I stopped taking FPS shooters after I logged thousands of hours, and I could own the shit out of you in Unreal Tournament, And too. I could take you in Goldeneye. Exactly. It's not absolute. You won't own me in every shooter, is I'd point. like to see you play Unreal Tournament now. I know every map like the back of my fucking hand. How much Unreal Tournament did you play? Oh, never. Okay, so <laughs> that's my point. I stopped playing FPSs in the 90s because I'd already logged too many fucking hours That's in why I think I can take you. I think you're unpracticed. If you play the games that I know the maps in, where I know to sit in the maze and and wait for you to run by and then pick you off, that's stuff you don't forget. It may take me an hour or two to, like, work the rust off, but by the time you're learning the game, I'm back to where I was 20 years ago. We can put this to the test. I don't have to learn the game. I still have my UT instances of servers that I can fire up. We can play on my computers. That doesn't sound too fair to me, but... (laughs) I hosted an Unreal Tournament server for years because that was the way you played. There was no online. It was, well, I've got a server. Connect me and we'll play here. Maybe I'm just getting too cocky, but I still think I've got skills. I'm sure you do in almost every shooter from the Halo era forward because I looked at Halo. The Halo storyline makes it worth playing the campaign. But gameplay, nothing fresh. Maybe nothing fresh, but Halo is the reason we still have Xboxes. Halo made that console. Halo was the FPS if you weren't playing on PC. There's always going to be a new generation of FPS players because there's always going to be new kids that have never played a fucking FPS before. I grew up with games. I saw the birth of the FPS. I burned myself into the ground with them. And See, I, but I think the original FPSs, are like, they pale in comparison. Like, I can't even fucking play Doom now. Ugh. Again, how much, like, like Quake 2, Quake 3, Unreal Tournament did you play? I was, dude... You have to remember, when all that shit was going on, I was in college, and I was console all the way. That's why you can't see my perspective on this. If I didn't have 10,000 hours in just Quake 2 and Unreal Tournament combined, I would be shocked. Once you've mastered something, why keep doing it? Games have gotten better than Quake 2, man. In the storytelling, the visuals, and I love watching my boys play, but I've never had the desire to go back and pick up a controller or even on the PC and play another shooter. I want a different type of gaming because I did so much of that for so long. I have no desire to revisit it. And the genre has gotten stale outside of things like uh, Bioshock. Star Wars Battlefront was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to part two. I think it's going to be a great shooter. The only reason it was fun, though, was because of the IP. It wasn't because they were doing anything groundbreaking in that game. You fucking fly around or you run around and you shoot shit. Well, yeah, in a platformer, you run to the right and you jump over crap. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's something about platformers in particular that appeal to some pleasure center in my brain that gets off on repetition and seeing incremental improvement in my skill, even if it's only infinitesimal. I love that. That's why I always gravitate towards them. It's the sense of 
I can't beat this level now, but tomorrow morning I know I'll be able to do it. I will take platformers over any genre of gaming. That's why at one point in the last couple of weeks, you were ranked number three in the world in Mega Man 9. <laughs> Which level was it? It's like the first challenge speed level. Yeah? Yeah, I think I'm down to eight now. Who fucking cares, dude? You were top three. You've got the screen cap to prove it, and that's pretty fucking cool. Congratulations, by the way. It made me realize that I will never be a speedrunner, dude. I don't know how those people do that shit. I can talk shit with you, and we can compete and play, but the people out there that do that shit, they are on a completely different level than we are. I don't know how you have like a 45-minute or a two-hour run of a game, that if you fuck up one thing... You're resetting that two hours. I was only playing a three to four minute stretch at a time. So if I would fuck up, I'm only losing two or three minutes. I don't know how speedrunners do it. It really addicted me though, man. I haven't gone back to it, but I was really cracked out for like three and a half hours one night over and over and over and over. And how can I do this better? Oh, I can jump off the ladder this way. Oh, I can do this weapon this way. Yeah, I really got addicted to it. I'll take third in the world, dude, at age 40 all fucking day, though. Jesus Christ, dude. Hell yeah. I'm sure I'm competing against either some kids or kids older than me that are playing nonstop. Younger and probably don't have full-time jobs. (laughs) Yeah, that'll come into it. Mega Man Legacy Collection, though, part two. A lot of people have played 9 and 10. 7 and 8 are kind of hard to get. So if you've never played Mega Man 7 or played Mega Man 8, 7 was the SNES game. 8 was the PlayStation 1 game. They're both really good. I'd never played 7 before. I'm having a lot of fun with it. 9 and 10 came out on the 360. They're kind of more of the retro back to Mega Man 1. Mega Man 9 is actually considered the hardest Mega Man game ever. Really? Yes. So if you want a challenge, pick that up. I've actually played through 9 back uh, when I lived in Atlanta. One playthrough, no death. One of my proudest gaming achievements. I didn't know Mega Man 9 was considered to be the hardest game in the series until recently, but I guess it is. And that's the one I speed ran too, but a lot of fun and tons of blast as well. Pick that up. Pick up Sonic Mania or whatever it's called. Is it Sonic Mania? It is Sonic Mania. Let's talk about that. Oh, God, man. Taking you back to the Genesis days. I mean, you start off in the Green Hill Zone, shot for shot, basically. Then you go to new levels. The boss battles are great. If you're a fan of Sonic, if you played back in the Genesis days, or if you love the character, no reason not to pick up Sonic Mania. It's 20 bucks. I think there's like 12 levels, 11 levels. There's tons of shit to do in the game. There's time attack. You can play with Knuckles. You can play just with uh, Sonic, play just with Tails. A lot of fun. I'm having a blast. You got to play it earlier. What did you think? I was almost disappointed to begin with because I saw the first Green Hill Zone level, and I thought, This is just fucking Sonic. I've played this game before. Like, why would I want to do that again? Because it's beyond faithful. It is exact. The font, the gameplay, the pixel count, the colors, the music. I mean, it is bit for bit, step for step, a recreation of that first level. And I'm thinking, what's so great about this? And then I saw all of the other levels and the content and the characters and uh, all of the different mechanics that they added. And that's when it made sense to me that they're not only giving you the same experience, which I have to think that they included the classic levels. Green Hill Zone 1 is instantly recognizable in gameplay. It's like that first level of Mario. Yeah, everybody knows that one. Everybody does. You probably do it with your eyes closed because we played that level so many times. And then you showed me all of the other levels and and what they're doing with it and some mechanics that I've never seen in a Sonic game before. So it's absolutely something that I'm going to pick up. I can't wait to play that one. It looks like a blast. It's a lot of fun. I think it's got a lot of replayability. They've got couch co-op versus mode you can play, which you and I didn't even mess with. Oh, shit. So far, if you're a retro fan, if you're a Sonic fan, no reason not to pick it up. And couch co-op is a dying game Nintendo's trying to bring it back. Good for them. They're trying their hardest, man. They're pulling themselves up and trying to bring it back. Loving Sonic, though. And then we get uh, Tuesday. So I guess we'll talk about this on the next episode. We get the Uncharted expansion, which is getting pretty mediocre reviews. Is it? I guess everyone's big complaint is, well, it's still Uncharted. Well, yeah, of course it is. What the fuck did you want? (laughs) It's got, I guess, an open world area that you can explore and find treasure, but the treasure doesn't really do anything to help you in the game. But it never did. It's more Uncharted. I've already got it pre-ordered. I can't wait to play it on Tuesday. Have you read how many hours of gameplay you should expect from the campaign? Six to seven. Okay. That's not bad. It's a $40 game, though. $40? Ah... Maybe that's a little light. How long did it take you to complete Uncharted 4? 12 on hard. Yeah, so that's maybe a little out of line, but then again, it's Uncharted, so they know they can charge $40 for it. Naughty Dog doesn't put out shit. It's going to be a good game, and I'm sure it's going to have replayability. 
I'll play on hard to start, but I'm sure there's going to be extra levels to go up. Treasure to find. I'm sure the story will be good. I'm looking forward to playing it. A given. Yeah, we know it's going to look great. We know we're going to love it. We're going to be engaged with the characters. It's going to be fun. Seven hours for 40 bucks is questionable. You don't have to own Uncharted 4 to be able to buy this game. Do you completely standalone? No, standalone. In fact, I was going to check that because I don't own Uncharted 4. I just rented it when it came out. But I know you and I are about to pull the link off. Yeah, you'll own it soon. (laughs) You own Uncharted 4. That's when I texted you that night. Hey, we need to link our PlayStation because I was about to buy Uncharted 4. And I was like, wait a minute. Why would I do that? Good call. So yeah, and you, you too will have access to my library. Highly recommend you play one of my favorite games of last year or two years ago until dawn. I think you and I played through the first two or three hours of that together. We did together. I do need to go back and finish that one, especially since we know that there's some related content is that coming out this year? The title that was announced at E3? I can't even remember the name of it now. The Evil Within 2? That's what it was. Yeah, and it's connected. I loved uh, Until Dawn. There's a couple titles I think I can show you on PlayStation that you'd love. PlayStation exclusives. Axiom Verge is uh, Metroid, basically. Old school Metroid. It's yeah. awesome. Sony has a lot of good exclusive arcade titles, like a lot of exclusive indie titles, just like Microsoft does, that I think you need to check out. Speaking of arcade titles, you're going to have to give that... We ha- we talked about this before. How do we say it? Is it Polybius? It's Polybius. Is it Polybius? You know, the video game historian has an episode about Polybius. And now I'm kind of more towards your thoughts that it's bullshit, that it didn't happen. It's never been substantiated. It very it well may have existed, but no one's been able to demonstrate proof. Like, here's a copyright or some proof of sale or proof of ownership of the game. But that's what makes the whole uh, urban legend around it so great. I want to try it, though. I'm glad I didn't buy it since we're about to link up, but I I do want to try it. It sounds right up my alley. I think you're going to like the way that it plays. I played it way too much, and it did actually fuck me up a little bit. Now I really want to play it. All the warnings that you always see at the beginning of games, I've never had one affect me once. Not even like any kind of like dizziness. dizziness, yeah. Yeah. This one, I felt it within the first five minutes, and I could not put the fucking controller down because the gameplay, it's so, uh, again, it taps into that pleasure center of like, oh, that was a great run. I want to do one more. Or, oh, that was a shit run. I need to do one more. Those are my favorite games. <laughs> That's how Mega Man was for me when I was doing those speed runs. Yeah. But when it's making you physically uncomfortable and you still want to play it, that's a rare feat. That's true. Now you have me really intrigued. We should... uh <laughs> We should check that shit out. For those of you out there that don't know, and if Doug and I don't get this to work, we'll let you know. We know it works on Xbox. You can choose one friend, and you can link your console. And at that point, you both share digital content. And yes, you can be playing the same game at the same time. I've been doing it with my good buddy Doug back in Georgia forever on the Xbox. And uh, once I found out you could do it on Sony, why wouldn't we split our PlayStation libraries? Linking your console is kind of a misnomer because what you're actually doing you're designating someone else's console to be your home console and xbox and apparently playstation sony both allow you to designate a home console so that whenever you buy something new it automatically gets downloaded to your home console and that console always has the rights to your game even if you're not logged into it that's what allows your wife or kids or buddies to log in on your console and play your games under their gamer tags because it's your console you've bought the content so your account is ingrained in there somehow so that it always unlocks the ability to play it even if they're not logged in as you but because of the online ecosystem now you can play your games anywhere. You come up to my house all the time and we play your games because you log in as you. So you're just logging in as you on your console here, whereas Snoop Dogg's console is your home console. I have to assume that PlayStation is doing something similar. So you're not really linking them. You're just taking advantage of the fact that they allow you to designate a home console where your games will always play regardless of whether you're logged in or not. Yeah, and my console, I think, is Snoop Dogg's console. And that's what you and I are going to do. You're, exactly. Yeah. Swap home consoles. It works perfectly. And Doug and I have been doing it since I moved here. I thought it was worth clarifying for... Uh, no, it definitely is. A- anyone who might not be familiar with the actual process. Like, that's the mechanic. Technically, it's an exploit. And I think if you ask Microsoft or Sony straight up, they'd say, no, that's not the intended purpose, but as long as they allow us to continue to take advantage of that, it's great that we can. It's wonderful. You can totally plan out purchases. Yeah, check it out. If you don't have a friend you're sharing with, I mean, it saves me a lot of money every year. 
So that's great that I'm going to be able to play the new Uncharted game. What do I need to buy next? What's on the radar for Sony in the near future? Uh, the next Sony game I'm buying, you probably don't want to get it, is Everybody's Golf, the sequel to Hot Shots. I fucking love Hot Shots Golf. I'll well, buy that. P- pick it up. It comes out at the end of August, a couple weeks. Can I pre-order it? Yes, you can. And if you pre-order it, I think you get some bonus shit. Sweet. Like bonus clubs or a bonus course or something. We should do that now before I forget. Well, I was going to say, too, last night, if instead of watching Defenders, if we were going to play Sonic, I was going to say, let's just buy it on PlayStation, split it between the consoles. I'm thinking we've got a good episode done. I think so, too. We're definitely at time. Uh, God, you know, it's been so long. It's been a while since we've done this, too. We haven't had a chance to talk about Cap for Kids in a while on Project Challenge. No, and they've been doing a lot of really cool stuff. They had one of their, I don't know the actual name of the event, but they do an annual hospital event that, that they get a lot of cosplayers together, and it looked like a ton of fun. They just did that a couple of weeks back. I think, actually, as we record this episode, as you and I drink beer, Rebecca and Sterling are at a hospital speaking with, with children right now. Fighting the good fight. That's what they do. And I know Sterling last night, because I follow him on Facebook, was dressed up as Batman visiting some kids. So Nice. Yeah. Can't say enough about Cat for Kids. Uh, at least do your Amazon smile, guys, for the love of God. It doesn't cost you any money. Support some people out there that are good. You don't meet a lot of good people in the world. These are great people, and they have a great cause. I think you should get behind it. It's one thing that I figured out recently is that not only can you help Cat for Kids by designating your own smile to use them and your friends and family, but we purchase a lot of shit through Amazon at work. So I was like, hey guys, can you throw Cat for Kids in as the smile beneficiary? And they're like, oh, well, we're not doing that. So why not benefit a charity that at least, you know, someone that works for us has a personal investment in. And then I started realizing that all of the people that I'm talking to on a daily basis in our customer base, all of them use Amazon to order business supplies and shit too. Everyone knows their customers to different degrees, right? And you know the ones that you can approach and say, hey, there's this thing. It really means a lot to me. And if you're not already doing this, like, would you consider designating Cap for Kids as the beneficiary of like a, a Smile Amazon purchase? And use your good judgment. Obviously, you don't want to push something on a customer that might make them feel uncomfortable. But again, in the business realm, that's where we can really start to take something like the Smile account and through scale and scope. The amount that they're earning on those transactions is so small. We've heard Becca talk about it before that the only way to make that really impactful is through volume. And the only way we're going to get there is if you're telling everyone who might be receptive to that information that they need to be you know, using Smile to do some good, their Amazon purchases to do some good. I promise you, almost everyone you know shops on Amazon. If you can get even 10, 15% of them to designate Cap for Kids as their beneficiary, you're going to make a huge difference over time for the charity. Yeah. And you know, if you're local and you're at a con, stop by and talk to Rebecca and Sterling. They'd love to talk to you about what they do. They'd love to tell you how the charity works and how they actually benefit people. So yeah, please get out there and support Cap for Kids. Here at Project Challenge, we love all kinds of feedback and questions. You can find our email and Facebook details at projectchallenge.com. Follow us on Twitter at OG Challenge and drop a review for the show on the iTunes or Play Store. Huge thanks to all the listeners, supporters, and Eric. And until next time, stay challenged.